Hive of the beautiful Buckhead District of Atlanta. This is your transgender scientist, Dana Jeanette Bevan. I'm sorry for the delay in releasing this podcast, but I've been a little busy. As you will find out in the next podcast, I recently had breast augmentation surgery. I also got swept in the ROG-D controversy that has grabbed a lot of headlines. ROG-D stands for Rapid Onset Gender Dysphoria, which refers to the idea that being transgender can rapidly emerge during teenage years without warning, at least without warning to parents. The claim is that this behavior is triggered by contagion from peer groups and information from the internet. What provoked the recent activity on this issue was a paper published by Lisa Littman of Brown University. Until this past week, there were rumors and a conference abstract on this topic from her but I held my tongue until I could actually analyze her paper. Before I talk about the paper, I want to tell you a little about how I think it fits into transgender history and treatment. Over the past several decades, the concept of affirmative therapy for transgender people won out over other approaches which were ineffective and some were even dangerous. They included psychotherapy, drugs, electric shock, bullying, persuasion, operant conditioning, and jawboning. Some of these approaches are still with us and are used for non-transgender phenomena. Even though psychotherapy based on psychodynamics has been shown to be ineffective for the curing of transgender people, many mental health professionals are still being trained in it. And like the proverbial workman with only a hammer, they try to use that hammer on every occasion. Psychotherapy is based on the ideas about psychodynamics or presumed mental processes. It started with Freud, who sexualized the unconscious. Psychodynamics can never be scientific because those mental processes cannot be seen or measured or observed. It stigmatizes its patients as being pathological. But psychotherapy should be distinguished from counseling. Plenty of transgender people need counseling to deal with social rejection and problems, but only get psychotherapy for other things. The latter two treatments, operant conditioning and jawboning, are still with us in the form of reparative therapy, particularly for trans kids. Operant conditioning involves rewards for non-congruent gender behavior and withdrawal of rewards for congruent gender behavior. For trans kids, it also involves control of toys, which culture has gendered. A child only gets cisgendered toys that are culturally approved for their birth sex. Jawboning involves trying to convince or bully the transgender person into stopping their transgender behavior by clinicians and by parents. In the last several decades, affirmative approaches have evolved for transgender treatment. These approaches assume that there is nothing pathological about being transgender and affirm being transgender as a naturally occurring phenomenon. It works for both those who do and those who do not undergo transgender transition. In the last decade, affirmative treatment for trans kids has evolved. This approach consists of sequential procedures in order of mental health screening, social transition, puberty blockers, and transgender transition. I've described this approach in a previous podcast. The children and their families do not have to do all these things. They can stop at any time. These procedures are carefully followed for trans kids who are consistent, insistent, and persistent about being transgender.
Puberty blockers are drugs that delay puberty to give the child extra time and experience in their congruent gender. Usually this lasts until age 16 when they can decide on whether to transition or not. Which brings us to the present day in the story of Rog D. It begins with several websites started ostensibly by parents of teenage trans kids who claimed that their children, without warning, abruptly came out as transgender. They were also unhappy with the treatment they got from affirmative mental health and medical providers. These websites have featured some of the discarded treatments and associated causal ideas. Reparative therapy is championed based on cultural cisgenderism. The rationale is that cisgenderism is the natural state of affairs, and transgender children must be disciplined to behave in the gender category based on natal sex. The proponents of reparative therapy claim that the alternative is to greatly suffer in later life as being transsexual or homosexual. Aversion therapy is applied based on the false idea that sexual arousal motivates transgender behavior. If you saw a clockwork orange, you saw aversion therapy. It involves making the person nauseous using drugs and pairing nausea with stimuli that accompany the behavior which they want to eliminate. For transgender people, sexual stimuli, i.e. opposite-sex clothing, were typically selected to reduce sexual arousal. But this approach only suppresses unwanted behavior in the conditioning environment. Outside of that environment, the behavior returns. The idea that being transgender is due to sexual arousal pathologies and causes people to view transgender people as being sexually perverted. This is a common basis for misinformed public rejection. Because of the Lippmann paper, we can now add psychodynamics as a non-scientific causal idea and psychoanalysis to the list of discarded ideas which appear on these websites. Given these websites of presumably upset and disgruntled parents, Along came Lisa Littman at Brown University, who took opportunistic advantage of the parents and the websites to apply her notions of psychodynamics to being transgender. The paper resulted in a firestorm of controversy about academic freedom, but I will focus only on the science here. Littman proceeded to send out an internet link through these websites. The link was to a site for parents to fill out a survey to provide information on respondent experiences. According to her paper, she received about 250 responses. The dissemination of this link was not controlled, so anyone could have responded to the survey, not just parents, and parents with positive experiences were not recruited for the survey. Littman refers to this as an available sample, but scientifically this is also termed a biased sample. The collected data showed that children involved were clearly transgender as indicated by their changes of presentation, including dress, hair, and behavior, and by their verbal statements, and by the request to consult with providers about their suspected transgender status. The children of, were mostly above average or average intelligence, and many were in gifted and talented programs. They consulted their peers and internet websites to find information on being transgender. Even though Littman termed this information gathering as contagion, she said that she did not believe that this contagion was the cause of their being transgender. She left that for her psychodynamics. Contagion to most people connotes disease caused by germs or other agents. It signifies a pathology or a poison. 
The third dictionary meaning of contagion is rapid communication of an influence or doctrine. It is possible that Lippmann intended the latter, but that connotation implies that children can be indoctrinated into being transgender, and there is no empirical evidence for that. Her a priori psychodynamic belief was that trans kids had undergone early trauma and that this sexualized trauma was responsible for them being transgender. She designed her survey around this notion. She collected trauma information based on her belief, but didn't collect information on alternative hypotheses, indicating that her her real intent was to apply psychodynamics to trans kids. Sexualized trauma causation is a staple of psychodynamics, even though many times the patient cannot initially even remember a trauma. Scientifically, it has been shown that in the course of certain types of analysis, false memories of trauma can be created. Her psychodynamic interpretation was in, in reaction to a trauma, a person attempts to use a maladaptive coping mechanism, which results in being transgender. As Littman defined it, A maladaptive coping mechanism is a response to a stressor that might relieve the symptoms temporarily, but does not address the cause of the problem, and may cause additional negative outcomes. Transgender transition is a drive to escape one's gender sex, one's emotions, or difficult realities, which might also be considered when the drive to transition arises after a sex or gender-related trauma within the context of significant psychiatric symptoms and decline in ability to function. Of course, these statements are unscientific and unprovable because they involve internal mental processes and intervening variables that are not observable. Respondents reported that some of the children had received trauma, but there were no comparisons made to the frequencies of currents for non-transgender children or to the population. Only 10% of the reported trauma involved sex and gender, and this category was not very well defined. It should also be pointed out one child's trauma is another child's growth experience. It's not just the event, it's the injurious effect on a particular person that makes it traumatic. Littman asked the respondents to judge their children on psychiatric criteria, which mental health providers use for diagnosis of children and adolescent transgender gender dysphoria but the criteria are not intended to be used by parents, and she did not include the required criterion that features debilitation and distress. This latter criteria usually makes the difference between those who are just transgender and those who want to seek medical treatment to change their bodies and are therefore gender dysphoric. Only about 10% of trans people fall into this category. Using this flawed methodology, Littman interpreted the data to mean that the children were not transgender in childhood, but suddenly became transgender in adolescence and adulthood. However, if the psychiatric criteria are followed strictly, none of the children met the requirements for gender dysphoria because the requirement of distress or debilitation was not even considered. Although from incidental reporting, it's clear that some children decided to go into affirmative program and perhaps transition, A diagnosis of gender dysphoria is not indicated. Littman cannot confirm that any of the transgender kids were gender dysphoric, which would seem to be required for rapid-onset gender dysphoria. I looked for things to salvage from the study and found two. One of the interesting things to me 
but overlooked findings is that most of the trans kids had previously been formally diagnosed with anxiety and depression. Women use this data to unnecessarily pathologize the transgender kids, but these are also frequent effects of secrecy. Could it be that the children lived in secrecy about being transgender from earlier childhood? I lived through that myself, but the times were not right for me to come out in adolescence. Another overlooked finding is that parents reported that most of the female trans children had previously come out as bi, lesbian, or pansexual. Perhaps surprisingly, there were no reports that parents found coming out in these sexual orientation categories as abrupt or shocking. Do children come out first as lesbian, bi, or pansexual before coming out as being transgender because it is more socially acceptable? When a child comes out as transgender, there is typically a grieving process that starts for a lost child. Is this why parents reject coming out as transgender and not alternative sexual orientations? This hypothesis squares in my personal experience with trans kids in this age group. It is a hypothesis that Littman should have considered if she had known about being transgender and the psychology of secrecy. All they had to do was ask the trans kids. The Littman paper is scientifically unsound and its assertions negatively impact transgender kids. The immediate impact is that parents may be hesitant to bring trans kids to qualified providers. I've already heard from some providers about parental hesitancy to admit their children to affirmative treatment programs because of this controversy. Children should not be restricted from finding out about being transgender from their peers or the internet, but they can get their best information from trained providers. For many teens, those sources are the only way that children can become informed patients when it comes to meeting with a provider. Because of their transgender behavior, trans kids are often subjected to psychological and physical abuse by parents and family. There are no empirical studies which show that people become transgender because of trauma. But by discrediting affirmative treatment, the Littman paper may expose trans kids to even more abuse. The long-term negative impact of the disgruntled parent websites and the Littman report is that trans kids and trans adults will become branded as pathological. They already suffer greatly from cultural rejection, and pathology provides some handy reasons for that cultural rejection. ROG-D pathology has already reared its ugly head in local bathroom debates. Although science is not perfect, it's the best tool we have to deal with the ideas about transgender causation.